0: G'day and welcome to another episode of Spectrum Uncensored. Today I have with me Darcy from Lismore in New South Wales. Thank you for popping in today to have a chat. Hi. It's
1: really good to be here. I'm feeling really excited.
0: (laughs) So tell me a little bit about what you were diagnosed with and when you were diagnosed.
1: So I was diagnosed as Asperger's back when that was a relevant term, when I was about five years old and... Uh, my only diagnosis was Asperger's at the time, and as I've gotten older, it's obviously just autism now. And yeah, I've sprinkled in a few other diagnoses on the way, but I mostly identify with being autistic.
0: It's interesting because I find that um, I've got i autistic and ADHD, and I find that I'm more like ADHD heavy. Um, like <laughs> when it, and it's interesting that you say you identify. Yeah, yeah, you identify as more autistic than anything else. Which that I can relate to that in that regard because I find that my ADHD controls my life more regularly than my autism does. Absolutely, is that why you you say that you identify more?
1: Yeah, well, I've been diagnosed with OCD and CPTSD, and I find that a lot of what I experience through those diagnoses I've already been experiencing with autism. So, whilst I can still accept those diagnoses, I definitely am like, "Oh, that's just the autism," and I think it feels way more uh, true when I say that that these things I experience are as a, as a result of autism. So that's why I feel more drawn to that identity. Yeah, well,
0: I I think I've only I don't I think you're actually the first person that's female that has been diagnosed as a child because it. At the moment, it's quite, um, it's like a dominant area with women being diagnosed late in life. So tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up knowing your diagnosis.
1: I think this is such an incredible thing for me to talk about, I think, because I don't know any other women or assigned female at birth people who were diagnosed at a young age. And a lot of the time I feel like we're talking from totally different results of the same history, if that makes sense. And for me growing up, my brothers were autistic and diagnosed autistic. And so I always kind of knew that I was a lot like them and they knew that they had that diagnosis. But I think because back then it was a bit weird quote, unquote, for a girl to have autism. So I was really ashamed about it. And when I knew I suddenly didn't want anybody else to know, it was like this super private thing that only my family and I talked about. And I think that quietness that I had about it really put me into this desire to mask and to be a different person than what I really was. So when people talk to me about being diagnosed late, they talk about the masking that they just can't get out of the habit of. And I relate to that, but in a different way of like, I knew I had it, but I didn't want anybody else to know I had it. And so I did anything that I could to avoid that for big public knowledge. So it was very lonely, pretty isolated. It definitely
0: makes sense. I think too, there's... um back then, like, it's only really come into the spotlight not that long ago that women can have autism and it's not just boys.
1: <laughs> <So. Yep. laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
0: So that definitely makes it tricky. Yeah. yeah. You were saying um when we were having a chat actually via text that you've got a rather big adventure coming up. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that?
1: Oh, my goodness. It's that's crazy that you mentioned that today because I woke up today and it was the first day that it really felt real. Um, Yeah, in two weeks, I'm (laughs) going to Japan for a writing retreat, a one month long writing retreat. And I'm going there alone, but then meeting up with a group of people I've never met before who are also going to be in this course with me. Yeah. I'm very excited. But <laughs> very scared. Terrified.
0: It's very um that's very full like it's <laughs> <Yeah>. very brave. <laughs> I don't know if I could do it, but um is it are you going to document things along the way um in regards to how it affects your autism and things like that?
1: Absolutely. That's my my main goal of this trip is to document what it's like to be in the most populated city in the world, I think it is. And also one of the most high sensory environments that you could possibly be in as an autistic person, because I guess growing up, I never really thought that that could be on the cards for me because it was just all oh, too much. Um, but a couple of years ago, I, I decided that my desire for it was really strong and that I could actually make it something really incredible. So I really, I just, Really want to create content that people will be able to look at and go, even though i 'm autistic, I can actually do this, and I can figure out how to make it sensory friendly and neurodivergent safe.
0: <laughs> I love that. I I went to China when I was 16 and that was full on. Like that's a super populated area too and quite a sensory overload, but Japan's like a whole new level. Like there's lights flashing everywhere and I just yeah, I don't know if I could do it, but but China was full on in itself, so I don't actually know how I got through that. Probably a lot of masking. Yeah. <laughs> <but, laughs> um, but it was something that I wanted to do. Yeah, so I definitely hats off to you for um yeah, for braving it. And um, yeah, so uh, what would you say, I mean, obviously that's going to be an accomplishment in itself, but what would you say you've, you're most proud of in your life that you've accomplished so far?
1: I think about this frequently and I think something that really, when I'm feeling down and, and I feel worried about the person I am, I think about a lot, when I was in year 12 and I was doing my HSC, my mum was really ill. She got diagnosed with liver cirrhosis and she kind of had this, a really quick decline. And within a space of a few weeks, I had to move into this kind of parenting role between my two brothers whilst my mum was dealing with that sickness. And I was working at an ice cream store to sort of make money whilst we were trying to get a hold of all these organizations to help us, just to hold us out for that time. And I never gave myself credit back then. I just really didn't see that what I was doing was a big thing. But looking back on it, I think I'm so proud of getting through the HSC already as an autistic person. Getting through the HSC is major. And I had a lot of autistic friends who really struggled during the HSE. But then to do that with the added stress of supporting a family was, I think, life altering for me, like a permanent change to my psyche. And I'm never going to forget that and always going to be like anytime I think I can't do something, I rely on that moment to sort of perk me back
0: up it's that resilience and adaptability that um a lot of people don't um give others credit for it's it, that's a quite a traumatic experience and a kind of a lesson in having to grow up really quickly and yeah. Um, I mean, I come from a very big family and I feel like I was a little bit of a second mum to them as well, because there was quite an age gap. I was, my sister's 21 years younger than me. She's at the bottom and then I'm at the top and then we've got seven brothers in the middle. So,
1: um,
0: it's, I can definitely relate. Yeah. I can relate to that kind of parenting role. Like it, when it all got too much, I kind of felt like I was there to take some of that load away. So, um. Obviously can't relate to the the sickness side with with your mother, but I, I hope she's doing well now.
1: Yeah, she is. She's a trooper. We were worried for a moment, but she's actually she's healed from it now, and she's doing amazing.
0: That's really good news. Um, and I guess how does your autism affect your daily life? Would you say in the like, you know, in the most in every sense? I guess.
1: Yeah yeah i I was actually thinking about this last night as I was at a I was at a gig, a concert, just a local one, and I had been there since six thirty and they'd said that it was going to start at seven thirty and then the plans changed because the artists couldn't get there on time, and it didn't start till nine and I felt so disencouraged by the change of plans that I was just ready to go home. But I was there with people who really wanted to see it. And so that sort of added a layer of stress to an already being in a really busy environment. And then then the sound check was happening with other music in the background. So I think the main thing is realizing I'm always going to cope with a sensory challenge that other people might not go through. And that can be really lonely when you're around a lot of people who seem to just be enjoying their time and they just aren't bothered by the fact that there's six different layers of sound happening. And then everybody's squished into a tight space. They just seem fine and I'm struggling. And I, I really feel my autism in those moments because I'm like, how is everybody else just thriving? And I think in, I think in the major regard, it's less about like, because I've adapted And I've known since I was really young that I was autistic. I've always had this forgiveness for myself. But I think what mainly affects me these days is how other people don't understand what it's like for an autistic person. And trying to explain that or trying to get them to empathize in a way can be really challenging. And it often means that just out of pure exhaustion, I will just be the person that people want me to be just so that I don't have to, I guess, take on the responsibility and the labor of explaining it. And I think that desire to be palatable as an autistic woman, especially, um, or non-male, is extremely like suffocating. And I think that's been my everyday challenge, is just trying to edit myself a little bit to make myself more uh, appealing to others well it's it's funny you say that
0: because i feel like we kind of hold that stigma um of the whole women can't have autism even though it's been proven now that that is it is true we can um but we kind of hold people hold on to that so they don't quite believe it it's a little bit like adhd in boys a lot of the time people just go oh bo- it's he's just a boy like yeah. it's not you know that's just oh, boys and so it's really you know, um, people just are very disregarding of things and it's, that's degrading and it's not, we don't make it up. It's, it's an everyday yeah. battle, um, to survive. So it's, you know, and we, all we want is to live. We don't want to just be surviving. We want to actually live and thrive and, you know, make connections. It's not that, you know, people always say, oh, have you got autism? You, so you like being alone? It's like, just because I like being alone sometimes it's not really about wanting to be alone it's sometimes you need to be alone um and then you still want connections but it's it's very lonely it can be lonely because you don't quite know how to make those connections so I mean with your friends do you feel like a lot of them are neurodivergent or do you feel like you've got a mixture of neurotypical and neurodivergent
1: lately I have been entering more spaces with people who are neurodivergent and I think it's just come a bit naturally like I guess like calls to like in a certain way where neurodivergent people usually attract other neurodivergent people and so as I move further into more comfortable friendship spaces I'm finding that there's a lot more neurodivergent people in them and I think that being in spaces without neurodivergent people contributed a lot to my shame and sort of belief in this being a misfortune of mine for a really long time because I was already thoroughly aware every single day that I'm living in this world that was created without my diagnosis in mind and therefore everything makes little sense most of the time and trying to filter my own coping mechanisms or my own trying to translate it into an autistic safe context is quite challenging. So when I'm surrounded by people who are neurodivergent, I find it's just an easier way to set into life in a, yeah, in a way.
0: Yeah. I mean, you feel included and you feel accepted and I feel like even I've had a few people now say, "Oh, as soon as you've told me your diagnosis, I feel so much more comfortable talking to you because I know that you'll be able to relate and that you are not going to be judgmental and things like that." So, I think that's that's pretty much why we're attracted to other neurodivergent people because, like, they're going to get it. And they, if we, you know, if I ghost them for two weeks, they're still going to be my friend. Like, yeah. they know the struggles, um, <laughs> you know, to do with to do with the neurodivergence. So, it's it's definitely it's about finding your people for sure. And, um, and yeah, not having to explain yourself every five seconds or having to mask yourself. I mean, I still mask with some of my neurodivergent friends. I don't realize I'm doing it and I'm trying to break out of that habit, but it's really hard when you've been doing it your entire life. So it's, it's a bad habit. Um, and you know, people with autism are exactly the same as neurotypical people in that, we have our strengths and we have our weaknesses. So Absolutely. there's no right way to be. Like it, neurotypicals aren't superior, neurodivergents aren't superior. It's just we're all our own people and it's just that our operation system operating system's different. But for sure. Um, in the grand scheme of things, we all Yeah, we all have something to bring to the table. It's not it's um yeah. There's nothing wrong with us. We're just different. So it's yeah, it's definitely finding those friendship groups that, um, embrace you for who you are is a big part of kind of healing from the trauma of the past as well. And, and as you say, not feeling ashamed because I found that, um, when I was diagnosed, because I was late diagnosed, I was only diagnosed a year ago. So I felt, I felt as soon as I was diagnosed that, I could forgive myself and I didn't feel so ashamed of the way I did certain things and the way I was because it was like now I understand. I always felt it um, but I just needed that confirmation and somebody giving that to me was very empowering and liberating. It was like, okay, now I get it, I can forgive myself and I can move forward and work out strategies to help me better my life for the future and and try to heal from all that trauma and you start kind of going back in time and thinking about all the things that you did as a child and all those traumatic events and kind of sifting through things and going, okay, well now I know why that happened or how that happened. And, yeah, you just stop blaming yourself for so much stuff and it, it is, it's it's like a healing process and you grieve as well. But, um, I I mean, some people say i wish i knew that i'd been that i was autistic when i was a child Mm. do you feel like you're better off that you knew because it kind of sounds like it's a catch-22 like you still get traumatized it doesn't matter whether you know in the beginning or you know halfway through do you feel like i wouldn't say the upper hand but do you feel like you've got a more of an upper hand because you knew when you were younger or do you feel like that was kind of a disservice? Do you think you would have preferred to have kind of coasted through and not known?
1: When it comes to talking about whether I'm better off knowing my diagnosis from a young age, this is something that I think this actually might be one of my greatest struggles when it comes to my diagnosis because I've juggled back and forth with the idea of what my life would be, would have been like if I got diagnosed later. And there are times where I almost wished I didn't know. Um, and I guess it's that desire, that ignorance is bliss kind of experience. And I think. Maybe what I really, when I desire to have not known, what I really feel is that I, when I found out I didn't like the way that the world saw me once they knew that I was autistic. So I think the desire to not know or maybe to know later and to have like this, I don't know, perceived just ignorance throughout life until I get diagnosed. Um, it's really a fallacy. It's fake. There's nobody that gets to live with that like la di da di da feeling that they get before diagnosis. Because I understand that not having a diagnosis until a certain point of your in your life, a later point in your life, is can be a really lonely life, and I don't want that. I think when I got diagnosed as a child it was only a couple years later that I went selectively mute for a while because people at school started finding out that I was different I used to I would carry a fidget to school and I would have a special teacher from time to time and so I think people garnered this understanding that I was different and so it pushed me right back into my shell and I think The tools for girls with autism back then were really limited. And I mean, I think a lot of people have a problem with applied behaviour analysis, and I definitely did from a young age. And so I think back then it sucked that I was diagnosed during a time that had little time, patience, and money for girls. With autism, because we were kind of just treated like the boys. And if you didn't relate to that, well, there was no treatment for you, so good luck. Uh, So I think there's just really no winning until we have correct treatment methods, not treatment, but support methods for girls and non men with autism and people with autism in general, honestly, because I don't think that there's many (laughs) support networks. Um, at the moment in comparison to what we really could have. Like there's so much that works for us if we just had a little leg up in life. Um, so, yeah, I juggle with it. I often think that it'd be amazing and then other times I think I'm so lucky to have been diagnosed early.
0: It comes down to maturity, I feel, too. Like you're not at, – at that age, you're not ready for that. That's a, <laughs> that's, that's a real like kind of bombshell moment for a child that's- to – um, be diagnosed. So, when you're diagnosed late in life, it's almost like you've got some coping me- mechanisms in place, and you can kind of ground yourself a little better. Not necessarily, but generally speaking, you're a little bit more prepared, and you've kind of gone through life thinking, "Yeah, I think maybe," and so you, you kind of know what's coming. Yeah. Um, so, I think that probably helps when you're being diagnosed later.
1: Yeah, I think online resources as well when people are looking to. Get a diagnosis as an adult or even a late teenager are uh, gentle, like online resources these days. You can go on Instagram pages of people who are autistic and all those kind of resources that we have, TikToks and all that kind of stuff, who will guide you in a gentle format. Whereas when I was younger, being told you were autistic was like, okay, your entire life is changing now. Like, good luck. <laughs> And so it just felt like this huge blow <laughs> on, to put on a five-year-old. And I was just starting, I didn't even get the chance in preschool to know that I was different. And then as soon as I hit kindergarten, it was like a totally different world for me. And, and understanding that I was really different too, like being told that I was really different, then understanding that going into one of the, a really vulnerable step in life for a child is, it was very confusing and, yeah.
0: As trying to change your language around things too, especially for children, I found that um, a real struggle with my son. My son's, um, he's autistic and ADHD, but he's also nonverbal. So <laughs> it's really tricky because you're trying to change your language to not kind of um, accidentally shame a child for being different. Like it's really hard. You've got to kind of give them the heads up but you don't want to shame them or make them feel insecure about the fact that they're different and when you say resources you're completely correct even these days they we don't have any very many resources for adults so once we come into adulthood there's no it's kind of just like okay you're an adult now like you're good (laughs) Um, so so they've kind of like gone yeah, they've gone, like, heavy on the kids, which is understandable because I don't even like using the word early, The words early intervention mm. because intervention kind of just sounds like a bad thing. Very jarring. Um, I feel yes. like it's just like early supports. Yeah. Yes, early supports for, for children. Um, so I guess if somebody suspected that they were autistic but they weren't diagnosed yet, um, obviously this is relating to adults, what would you say to
1: them as advice? to absolutely trust your gut. Autistic people, and I'm sure, I mean, I can't speak from the perspective of an ADHD person, but I think there is a a fire inside us that burns with the understanding that something is a little bit different to the people around them. And the way that you view things and the way your brain cognitively moves is different. And I think medical professionals, they quite often tell people that, oh, it's okay to be different. And of course it is. It's fabulous to be different, but it's also completely okay to understand that you're different and also know that there could be something in you that could use attention and love and nourishing. So to... I think as well, upon getting diagnosis and seeking diagnosis, to find yourself around other autistic or neurodivergent people is going to save your life at some points because doing that alone or doing that not around people who just get it and Autistic and neurodivergent people, I I can speak on my terms and my friends, we have so much space for people looking for diagnosis because we know how hard that road is. It's really lonely and you they you can't see it in front of you until you've actually walked that step, what it's going to look like. And so to carry a group of autistic friends or neurodivergent friends or support with you, I think is so vital to your entry into Your diagnosis and keep going if someone tries to tell you you're not autistic but you still feel like you could be autistic it's okay to seek second and third opinion it doesn't mean you're pushing for the diagnosis it means you have a strong sense of who you are and what you can do if you have that diagnosis behind you gut instinct is such a
0: primitive thing and we all have it and you're so right we need to trust that gut instinct and find your people like those two things are so important, um, just for life in general. Like it's just, yeah, it's such good advice. But I just want to thank you for coming in and um, giving me some of your time. And I wish you all the best with your trip to thank Japan. You so I much. hope it's amazing. I'll be following along because <laughs> it just sounds like it's going to be absolutely epic. But I wish you all the best, and thank you so much for coming
1: in. Nice. No, I so appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you very much, Jamie.
0: No worries. Take care.